if Israel fulfills its mission in eradicating Hamas and puts an end to the war, then what? Who'll pick up the pieces and rebuild a functioning government? CNN's Clarissa Ward filed an amazing, insightful report from inside Gaza this week after bearing witness to the devastating wreckage of buildings and infrastructure destroyed from the war and visiting a field hospital established by the United Arab Emirates. And on Friday, the IDF said it accidentally shot and killed three Israeli hostages who were shirtless and waving a white flag in Gaza. U.S. officials say Israel is transitioning into another phase of the war that's focused more on precise attacks against Hamas leaders. This comes after President Biden warned that Israel is losing international support. As the destruction and civilian death toll in Gaza continues to rise, it's unclear how much it would cost to rebuild Gaza with no ceasefire in sight. My next guest argues that no Arab nation, European Union member, or lawmakers on Capitol Hill will support funding a reconstruction of Gaza unless Israel has committed to a two-state solution. Here's what the Israeli ambassador to the UK said on that issue. Okay, without offering Mark, a state to Palestine, how Mark, can there be peace in Israel? Israel knows today, and the world should know now, the reason the Oslo Accords failed is because the Palestinians never wanted to have a state next to Israel. They want to have a state from the river to the sea. So without the foundation of a two-state solution, what is there left to build from the rubble and ashes inside Gaza? In his latest piece, New York Times Pulitzer Prize-winning author Thomas Friedman writes, Israel has skilled and wounded, has killed and wounded thousands of innocent Gazan civilians. Hamas knew this would happen and did not care a whit. Israel must. It will inherit responsibility for a gigantic humanitarian disaster that will require a global coalition years to fix and manage. Joining me now is the three-time Pulitzer Prize-winning New York Times columnist and author of seven best-selling books, including Thank You for Being Late and From Beirut to Jerusalem, Thomas Friedman. Tom, thank you for coming back. I read the most recent column, couldn't help but conclude that this is all going according to plan for Hamas. Am I right? And please explain. Well, thank you for having me, Michael. Um, yeah, I believe from the very beginning, um, Hamas's goal, Iran's goal, has always been to uh, enmesh Israel as deeply as possible in Gaza and the West Bank, in fact. Um, they think as long as Israel is enmeshed in Gaza and the West Bank, it will be an economic disaster, a moral disaster, and, and a military huge problem. They want Israel overstretched. That's the Iranian objective here, morally, economically, and physically. Um, uh, obviously, Israel faced a huge you know, military dilemma after uh, the attacks, the barbarism of the attack. Uh, but you know, from the very beginning, I argued that Israel should ask what its worst enemies want it to do and do the opposite. Um, uh, but uh, unfortunately, it went in. Now it's in extremely deeply. Um, uh, it's committed to uh, ultimately taking over all of Gaza. Um, and what I was arguing in the last piece is that if you're going to control, if 7 million Jews are going to control 3 million Palestinians in the West Bank and 2.1 million Palestinians in Gaza without any uh, political horizon, we're not talking about it new state tomorrow, but without a political horizon, you will never get the international support you need to uh, to maintain that. And uh, uh, you'll be isolated and ultimately economically, militarily and morally overstretched. So that's been my concern. I found very interesting. You are having just returned from Saudi Arabia to share the perspective that you heard from the Saudis that they worry a whole new generation is being radicalized. 
I wonder whether the Biden administration has that as a paramount concern. Well, I would say two things, Michael. First of all, let's start from 30,000 feet. What's actually been going on in the world? What's happening in the world is that Ukraine has been trying to join the West and Israel was trying to join the East through normalization with Saudi Arabia, which would open the way to the rest of the Muslim world. Russia and Iran and Hamas understood that and they've been seeking to block both. So that, that's the sort of the geopolitical frame here. And uh, you know, it seems to me that we need a counter strategy to that. Now the Saudis are ready to go ahead. Obviously, you know, it depends how the war ends, but they're still committed to a security alliance with the United States and normalization with Israel. But they understand, you know, this is the first sort of uh, omni-channel war. It has a deep military component. It is a deep digital component. Um, and, and I would argue that while Israel may be winning on the physical component, um, uh, Hamas has basically lured it into radicalizing a whole new generation around the world that was not either emotionally or politically involved in this issue, including in the Arab world. Now, in the Arab world, it's very complicated because you also have a lot of young Arabs who are, are really focused on developing their own countries now. They're fed up with the Palestinian question. Um, but they also are deeply wounded by emotionally what's going on in Gaza, and they're affected by it. And so you've got all these conflicting emotions you know, going on today uh, you know, across, I would say, the Arab world. Tom, given the current composition of the Israeli war cabinet, how much leverage does the Biden administration even have today? This growing rift continues to garner more and more headlines. It seems like Netanyahu has completely, my words, not yours, sold out to those extreme forces that are around him. What position does that put Biden in? Those are my words, not yours, <laughs> I would say, because I totally agree. Look, uh, Israel cannot win this war with Benjamin Netanyahu as prime minister holding the position politically that he's holding, which is that um, he will not talk about any kind of, forget Palestinian state, any kind of political horizon for the Palestinians uh, after this war. And again, no one expects a state to be born tomorrow, but it's sitting down, figuring out what the Palestinians need. They need to get their act together. Um, the PA is a corrupt, ineffective organization uh, for both Palestinian reasons and Israeli reasons, uh, quite frankly, things Israel has done, but also much more what Palestinians have done. We need a new PA. We need a new legitimate, moderate Palestinian authority. Um, that can only come, I believe, with help from uh, from Israel, from the UAE, um, uh, from Saudi Arabia, from, from Egypt, from Jordan. Uh, that effective PA can be the answer to a lot of questions, Michael. It can be the answer to who can govern Gaza, first in partnership and, and then later alone um, uh, with Israel, because Israel's not going to withdraw overnight. And ultimately, who can be the partner for a two-state solution? It's not going to happen overnight. But if your position, which is, which is Netanyahu's position, is to run against Joe Biden, that's what Netanyahu is doing. He's running against Joe Biden, because Biden is calling for that kind of PA. You're never going to have the American partner, the global partner you need, Israel, for transitioning out of Gaza, you will end up with 7 million Jews controlling 3 million Palestinians in the West Bank, 2 million in Gaza alone, and that is politically unsustainable. And Tom, finally, I have a Colin Powell Pottery Barn question. I want to put up on the screen, a lot of comments were appended to your most recent column, as is often the case. This was the number one column when I read, and this is how, this was the number one comment, and it begins this way. Let's be real, Israel broke Gaza, 
Israel should pay to rebuild it? Why should they expect American taxpayers or Gulf oil states to pay to repair what they have broken? In the end, who pays? Well, in the end, um, I'm sure everyone's going to have to pay something. Um, Israel's going to pay something. The UN's going to pay something. America's going to pay something. Um, uh, you know, uh, I'm the author of the Pottery Barn Rule, not Colin Powell. Um, uh, and the, Israel did break it, but actually they broke it after Hamas broke it vis-a-vis um, uh, -vis Israel. So I think getting into that infinite regress isn't really helpful. My point, Michael, is the focus right now uh, is not to describe the problem. It's to think about creative solutions. There's a lot of people ready to invest. It's not just donation. Invest in a creative solution. And Israel at peace with Gaza and the West Bank would it be a huge economic, political, uh, social boon for the entire region? It could be the keystone to a new Middle East. Okay, going forward, I'm going to say, as repeated by Colin Powell, the Tom <laughs> Friedman <laughs> Pottery Barn rule says, you broke it, you bought it. Thank you, Tom. Thank Happy you. holidays. Appreciate your being here. You too, Michael. Thank you.